Well, let's turn for a short time this evening to John chapter 17, where we've been uh, having some studies uh, over the past few weeks. Uh, John chapter 17, and tonight we're looking at uh, verses 6 to 8. Uh, we've seen uh, verse 6 already, but we'll read from verse 6. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. Verses 7 and 8 especially, as they flow from verse 6, as we saw verse 6 uh, last time, but we come now to verse 7, which really, in a sense, is the result of what has been said in verse 6. I have manifested your name to the people you gave me out of the world, and yours they were, you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. And as a result of that, now they know that everything you have given me is from you. Then he further explains that. When he says, for I have given them the words that you gave me. And that's uh, itself taking us into the relationship between God the Father and Jesus God the Son. And in this wonderful combination, as John often does, he combines so many strands together. It's very difficult sometimes to separate them out. Indeed, it's not right to separate them off entirely from each other. Anyway, the strands, for example, here that you find uh, Christ's words, the knowledge that that brings, and also the believing aspect of it. All of that is built into these uh, two verses, seven and eight. And as we look at these, we look first of all at the aspect of mediation, mediation on Christ's part that comes to us through these verses. Because there is obviously a central role to Jesus himself in giving these words to the disciples that he mentions, but they are words that were given to him from the Father, which is uh, emphasized also by him. I have given them the words that you gave me. There's that interaction between the Father and the Son culminating in Jesus giving the words that were given to him to the disciples so that they come through that to know God to understand who Jesus is, where he had come from, something about his work. So the mediation has to do with the role of Jesus between the Father and the disciples. The second element mentioned is reception on the believer's part. And that involves acceptance of Jesus' words, which of course are the words of the Father, as we've said. But along with acceptance, you have knowledge. He says now, uh, they have come to know in truth that I have come from you and they have believed that you sent me. So there's acceptance and knowledge, which is really combined also with faith, with the believing uh, that uh, who, who, of who Jesus is and where he has come from. So let's look at these very briefly tonight. Uh, the mediation, first of all, on Christ's part. As we said, we need to begin really in a sense at verse 8. For I have given them. The for at the beginning of the verse really shows you that he's, uh, that he's giving an explanation of why it is things are as they are uh, in verse 7. Now they know that everything you have given me is from you for. The reason for that is I have given them the words that you gave me. 
And you can also see how the word everything, where Jesus says they know that everything that you have given me is from you. That's further explained and specified, uh, dealt with more specifically, when he speaks here about um, the words that you gave me that I have given to them. So everything is really, in a sense, explained by the words that Jesus revealed to the disciples, spoke to the disciples. This is to do with Jesus' ministry here at that moment that he had been exercising to these disciples that he's with here in this upper room and that he's praying with and praying for. So as we'll see, that's going to be expanded out further. Although in principle, this is really something that follows into our own experience as well. The words that come through Jesus, from Jesus, the words of the gospel of where Jesus is central are words that come from God. You could say God as our father and through the Holy Spirit, they're blessed to us. And through that, we come to know who Jesus is, why he's significant, what his place is in the whole scheme of salvation. So everything that the Father has given him, uh, he has given to the disciples. And now he explains that, as we said, by specifies it by the words that God gave him, the Father gave him. Now, this is really tremendously mysterious stuff, but it's also extremely precious to us because we know that deep within that relationship between God the Father and God the Son is the transmission to us of the truth about God. This is really where the foundation of everything is for us. That's why we're so uh, insistent on the fact that we utterly believe and accept and wish to promote the fact that God, the one God, is, uh, comprises the three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, and that we cannot understand our salvation in any way at all, really, unless we hold on to that great foundational truth about the Trinity. That's why that theology is so important. You cannot begin to understand how the salvation that you enjoy, that you possess, has come into your possession unless you begin with who God is and what God is. And that's why Jesus here is so important in the words he's telling us, because he is saying this, in a sense, begins with the Father, but then given to me, I have then given it to the disciples. Let's cast our mind back a wee bit to chapter 5. It'll help us maybe to just see uh, something very similar there in chapter 5, uh, verses 19 to 20. This is Jesus saying um, to the Jews again, who are accusing him of breaking uh, the Sabbath, and calling God his Father, making himself equal with God. And in verse 19, uh, so Jesus said to them, truly I, truly I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him, so that you may marvel. Don meant to speak about giving life uh, to those who were initially dead. So there you find we're taken into the depths of God, of the Trinity, of the being of God. And what Jesus is saying is that he, as he works out this mission that he has been given on earth to complete, is actually doing what the Father actually gave him to do, what the Father has specified for him to do, the words that the Father gave him are the words that he actually uses, that he teaches, that he presents. And 
what he's saying here in chapter 5 is the doings of Jesus, the acts that he does, the whole pattern of his life is something that initiates is initiated with, with the Father. It begins there because the Son can do nothing, he says, of his own accord. And then you turn to chapter 7 and uh, verses 16 to 18, uh, just where we read a short time ago, verse 16. Uh, so Jesus, this is the Jews again marveling, how is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? They were absolutely amazed at the teaching of Jesus, knowing that he wasn't formally taught as their rabbis were taught. And he says, Jesus says to them, my teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority, so on. He's saying there the teaching that he's given, in other words, the same as for chapter 17, the words that he's been speaking, the truth that he's been divulging to the disciples begins with the Father and is given to the Son, and the Son transmits that in his ministry to the disciples. Now, that's what he said. There is a huge amount of mystery in that, but here is something that really controls our thinking about God and about ourselves. The gospel wasn't invented by human beings. The words of Jesus in his ministry were not words that actually were given to him by any other rabbis or by the church of the time. The words of Jesus initiated with the Father came from the Father, and that's what Jesus was presenting. So you can see how there's complete compatibility and harmony, and we'll see that in our conclusion tonight, between the Father and the Son in the revealing of that salvation, redemption, through the words that Jesus was using to these disciples. But it's important we notice that Jesus is active in this. I have given them the words that you gave me, because sometimes People speak as if Jesus were just a kind of inert measure or means through which God speaks. And indeed, some people theologically have had that view that Jesus is not divine. He was just a medium through which God actually spoke. And here is Jesus actually saying, it's not at all like that. I have this role with the Father and from the Father, so that uh, in terms of the way in which the son uh, is in the world he is actively involved himself in uh, divulging god and speaking these words that the father has given him and the other thing you can see from that is that as the mediator between god the father and his people to whom he gives these words jesus is actually uh, exactly what the father intended we're talking about things of course which are spoken about here but which we really cannot enter into in any great depth certainly i cannot anyway because it really takes us into this mystery of the trinity and the mystery between the father and the son in these words that were given by the father to the son and the son then to the disciples these are things which only god himself knows the actual full detail of but they're precious that's uh, a precious emphasis for us because it tells you that the Son gives to his people exactly what the Father actually gave to him to give to his people. There is no uh, uh, modification on the part of Jesus 
of who the Father is, of what the Father has given him. So in other words, when Jesus is saying, the words that I've given to you from the Father, they are exactly as he has received them as the mediator through whom these words come to us. I know um, these things are very uh, difficult and intricate and have a depth, really, that we cannot, as we say, enter into fully. But how precious is it that your salvation and my salvation tonight is itself based upon the exact and the perfect relationship between God the Father and God the Son. And that there is no possibility whatever that the Son has somehow or other uh, fluked the words of God and just invented them himself, that there is no possibility whatever that somehow there's something lacking in the words of Jesus in the re revelation that's come through him to us as lost sinners, that there is somehow um, a, a, a truth about God the Father that is somewhat different or even slightly different to what Jesus says about him or the words that Jesus uses. You have tonight a perfect mediator. One who came from the Father to reveal God to us and does so exactly and in the detail and the exactness that God the Father himself gave to him. Of course, Christ's mediatorship is a lot more than that. You go into other parts of the scripture where you have the mediation of Jesus in terms of being our high priest. This is in many ways speaking here in John 17 of the office of prophet along with priest and king, the three great offices of Jesus as our savior. And this is really, we could say, focusing more on the office of prophet, revealing to us the will of God for our salvation, as the catechism puts it. And that's, so you need to go somewhere else in the Bible to, to deal more with the priesthood and the kingship of Jesus. But what he is saying here is, in terms of the words that he has given, the revelation that he brings from the Father to his disciples, is exact and perfect, and just exactly as it should be. So that's the first thing, the mediation on Christ's part, for which we're thankful tonight that this is what's come to us in all its perfection and accuracy as the words of the Father. Secondly, it speaks about reception, and that's reception on the believer's part, where he says, uh, I have given you them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you. Of course, these disciples did like ourselves, but these disciples then had much that they didn't understand fully. Uh, they couldn't yet understand fully because the cross had not occurred. The resurrection had not occurred. The coming of the Holy Spirit with the, the, the ministry that the Holy Spirit, as Jesus himself says in these chapters, that would actually divulge more to them and explain more to them of the meaning of Jesus and the person of Jesus and the, the essence of salvation. They weren't at this stage there yet. They weren't at that particular juncture in their understanding. And yet, here is Jesus saying, they have accepted these words that I have given them from you, Father. Such was their attachment to Jesus. Such was their relationship lovingly to Jesus. Such was their conviction about who Jesus was and where he had come from, that the words that he revealed to them and spoke to them were words that they accepted. They accepted the truth of it. They accepted the um, authority of it, of them. And they obeyed them and they believed them. 
And it is important. John's gospel is, is in many ways full of God's um, sovereign predestinating will. We've seen that earlier. The beginning of the chapter talks about um, the people that uh, the Father had given to Jesus, something that happened in election before the creation actually existed. And John's gospel, as we go through it, you can see so much of that predestination of that sovereign will of God, um, where he himself sets the parameters of salvation and of everything that comes to us in the way of our redemption. But we're never allowed to think that because God is sovereign, because God is in control of these things, that because there's such a thing as God choosing his people before the foundation of the world, we're never allowed to think, therefore, it is not we, that it is other than we ourselves, who need to accept the words of Christ, who need to obey the words of Christ, who need to believe the words of Christ. You see what he's saying? These words, he says, you have given me, I have given these words to them, and they have received them, and they have come to know, and they have believed that you sent me. God didn't believe for them. Jesus didn't believe for them. They weren't forced into believing. They willingly were made willing by God to believe them, but they believed. There's one of the wonders of our redemption. The Bible will not allow us to avoid our responsibilities, even though we know that God is sovereign, that he has chosen his people, that all of that is in his plan from all eternity, that he is sovereignly in charge of all of that. But the Bible never allows us uh, to hide um, our responsibility in God's predestination even if we cannot match them together. We are told in uh, the Bible is uh, such that the gospel addresses not our own ability to believe or to be saved. The Bible, the gospel, addresses our responsibility. It says, believe. It gives us imperatives. It says, you must do this. All of these imperatives are based uh, uh, of course, upon God's sovereignty, but nevertheless, they address our responsibility. Even although we know that we have an inability of ourselves to respond and to accept and to believe and to serve God. We are never allowed to actually lose sight of our responsibility. And that's important when we come to, to witness to others whether it's in preaching or in our everyday witness, we are never ever to actually give the impression that somehow people can just sit back and rely upon the sovereignty of God and say, well, if I'm in God's elect people, I know I'm going to be saved. Now you have to say to them, well, yes, that is true at that level. But if you're in God's people, if you're in God's elect people, then you will believe, then you will repent, then you will come to Christ, then you will obey Christ. That's all true of God's people. And without these, you will not be saved. That's where we have to have the, the emphasis of the gospel according to its presentation to us in Scripture. Of course, we accept all about the sovereignty of God, but not to the avoidance of our own personal responsibility. And you notice, secondly, along with acceptance, there's, there's the knowledge factor in this as well. Now they have come to know that everything you've given me is from you, and they have come to know in truth that I came from you. That's what he's saying. They have come to know, not something they had to begin with, 
But through these words, through this teaching of Jesus, they have come to know things about God, and specifically these two elements. Uh, they have come to know where Jesus is from and that he was specifically sent by the Father, because both things are important. They have come to know that uh, um, in truth I came from you. The words in truth are important too, because they came to believe these things and accept these things and know these things for sure. They were not left in doubt. They came to accept fully that this is where Jesus had come from, that he came from the Father, but along with that, that the Father had actually sent him. That too is a really important um, point to say, along with the fact they knew where Jesus was from, that he was from God. But you could say that in a sense about any particular individual that uh, had come in the name of God to present. You could say that of the prophets. You could say that of even preachers to this day, that they're commissioned by God to declare God's truth through the scriptures. But Jesus is different to that. He's above that. Because there is, especially when you go into other aspects of John's gospel, when Jesus is saying here that they have come to know that uh, in truth I came from you. In other words, the source of Christ is heaven. It is God himself, and that's who he is. And that you sent me, that there's a specific commissioning on the part of the Father to send the Son on this great mission as the Redeemer, as the mediator between God and sinners. So that's uh, briefly mediation on Christ's part, reception on the believer's part, and many, many other aspects of that. But I realize that I mustn't go on too long because I know it's difficult for yourselves to sit with masks on. And I don't want to uh, actually overdo that emphasis. But four points in application, because at the moment, all we've done basically is go through the verses and looked at something of the theology of it, something of the theology from Christ's point of view as to who he is, but also the believers, the disciples and their acceptance of it. But there are four points of application that are really important practically for yourself and for myself and for all Christians tonight. First of all, this great truth about his mediatorship and the reception by us of who he is, the knowledge of God through him, first of all, gives us peace of conscience because Christ is sufficient to deal with our needs as sinners. And it gives us peace of conscience when we've come to know him and to accept him and to believe who he is and to trust in him. Then we know that God's answer is in him to the problem and the dilemma of our sin and our guilt over which our conscience is disturbed. And when we come to Jesus and to know him, we come to know his sufficiency. And I mean by that, his sufficiency to deal with God's requirement and our need at the same time. That's essentially what mediatorship is about at the very heart of it, isn't it? He represents God to us and the demands of God, but he also represents us and our need before God in his own person. These two things are brought together. And so as he comes and uh, fulfills that death of the cross and that resurrection, everything indeed, as John uh, packs into his, his ministry, the ministry of Jesus, well, we come to see the sufficiency of Jesus. 
every single aspect of God's requirement is met in him. Every single aspect of your need is met in him. He is fully sufficient, and that gives you peace, conscience. Secondly, it gives comfort to your faith, because Christ, as well as being sufficient, Christ is supreme. He presides over our salvation. He's in control of his own ministry. He's in control of what he was doing here, what he did afterwards, even when he came to die the death of the cross. It's uh, more accurate to say that he gave himself to his captors rather than that they forced him to concede. He is supreme. And tonight that gives you the comfort for your faith. Even when there are things we cannot understand through our knowledge, we believe that he is supreme, that he's supreme over everything in the world tonight, whether it's an election in America or the pandemic or anything in our own smaller lives. Every single aspect of that is under the supremacy of Christ as the one who has come from God to us. And so it gives comfort to your faith when you have to, as we often do, just fall back on this great fact. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. It gives peace to your conscience. Christ is sufficient. It gives comfort to your faith. Christ is supreme. Thirdly, it gives fulfillment to your heart because Christ is satisfying. And there is no satisfaction of soul without him. But with him, he is the source of your satisfaction. He is the source of the fulfillment that your heart craves and that you know you cannot have in yourself or by your own ability or by other human means or ingenuity. The fulfillment for which you were created and I was created is answered in the person and in the work of Jesus. And when you come to know Jesus, that gives you fulfillment of heart as well as peace of conscience and comfort to your faith. Because Christ is not only sufficient and supreme, but satisfying. Where is your satisfaction? Where does it rest? Where does it emanate from? Isn't it from him? Isn't he central and foundational? Everything that satisfies your soul. Of course he is. This Jesus that is mediating between the Father and his people. And fourthly, it gives impetus to our worship. Because Christ is stimulating. Not only sufficient and supreme, satisfying, but stimulating. The more we know Christ, the more we actually come to understand of him. And even the little we do understand of him is intensely stimulating for us. We worship him. We worship God through him. We worship because he has revealed to us God's worthiness to be worshipped. We worship him and we worship God because of what Jesus, what the Father has done, what Jesus has done, what the Holy Spirit has done, what God has done, what he goes on doing. And our understanding, the knowledge that he's speaking of here, they have come to know. And when you have come to know Christ, that stimulates your heart to worship, to bow before God, to confess your sin, to give thanks for his salvation. To ask him to direct all the things that are in your worship, whether it's private or public. But it all comes back to this person, this wonderful, great Savior. He gives peace of conscience 
because he's sufficient. He gives comfort because he's supreme. He gives fulfillment because he's satisfying. And he gives impetus to our worship because he is stimulating. And we ask God to bless to us our thoughts on his word this evening.